0: Let's go to Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, I just thank You that we can gather with other brothers and sisters to sing praises to You, sing about how beautiful You are, how in awe of You, We want to stand. Lord, You are worthy of our worship. Father, we live in a broken world. We see this every day on the news. We feel it within our own relationships and our own families. Lord, we're so in need of You more than what we know. God, I pray that You would give us this morning a picture of Your awesome stability, Your reign, Your love for us. God, I pray that our hope would be found in You. Lord, there's many physical prayer requests that people come in here with, sicknesses. Lord, I pray that even there You would be our hope. Even there we would find the rock-solid promise of eternal life in new bodies. Lord, I pray that our lives would shine forth Your glory, I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, we are going to park it ourselves in Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8. And the selected uh, Scripture reading is in chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread." I wonder what you fear. Fear is the powerful, thing. Fear is a convincing thing. Fear is the best sales tactic out there. Anything you want to sell, the first thing you have to locate is people's fears. And you'll be able to sell it. Eat Cheerios or die of a heart attack. Isn't that how they sell Cheerios? Buy my car. It has the best safety ratings. You don't want to die, do you? Buy this certain TV provider's programs or die of boredom with cable. Don't get ripped off by that guy. Come to me. I'll give you a good deal. My, buy my vacuum. Let me show you how dirty your house is. Then let me open up pictures of dust mites that are killing your children. You cannot have that vacuum you have if you love your family. Vote for Me, or else the world will come to an end. Isn't this how things are sold? And conspiracy theories are rampant. And people love them. And you do too. You might not classify yourself as a conspiracy theorist, but I think by the end of this sermon, you'll see that in fact you are. I was just looking at the internet, trying to figure out what conspiracy theories are out there. This week, a UFO is closing in on Earth and NASA is covering it up. The live feed cut right when something was coming in to view from the International Space Station. Justice Scalia's death is a conspiracy. Many Iraqis think they know who is behind ISIS. One headline said, Uncle Sam is their answer. The Sandy Hook shootings was a hoax. One father whose six-year-old son was shot has gone from one conspiracy theorist to another trying to plead with them to quit posting these theories. His son is dead. And they said, dig up your son and show us the body or we won't believe you. 9-11 was US-led. Putin consults with extraterrestrials. One article, chemtrails. They're spraying us. The Masons and the Illuminati are controlling the world. Chemotherapy is not in your best interest. It's an attempt for doctors to get rich and kill you in the process. Vaccinations are harmful to your children. EMP could explode in a moment and we're all in trouble. The writers, the translators of the NIV are atheists. And Satan has twisted the translation. Your food, your water, and your household chemicals are killing you. Just a few of the things you find on the Internet. And then let's get to just news headlines this week. Shootings are every day. 84, this was a few days ago, dead in Nice, France, because a terrorist drove a truck into crowds. We can no longer gather in groups anymore. Hours and hours of commentary how to put up cement pillars to keep this from happening. A coup attempt in Turkey. Hundreds dead. ISIS is growing like cancer throughout the world. The politicians are corrupt. This world seems to be pulsing out of control at a rate that I don't know how any of us are going to sleep tonight. With all there is to worry about. With all that is going on. How are you responding to such unrest? How are you responding? Are you looking to your favorite politicians for help? Are you storing up ammo and water in your basement? Are you eating only certain foods and avoiding chemicals? Maybe you're overeating to cope with that anxiety you feel. Maybe you're drinking and doing drugs to cope. Are you striving to stay up to date on Satan's deception? He is the greatest deceiver, so do you have to stay in front of all his conspiracies? so that you're okay? Do you need to watch more news so you can be more careful? Do you need to talk about these things with more people so they will know and avoid their destruction? Are you not trusting anyone anymore? Because the deceiver is so great. Does worry control your life. If you think this is a scary world to live in, let's look at Israel about 740 B.C. and see what a healthy fear looks like. Because we all think our fears are reasonable fears. Our conspiracies are good conspiracies to be concerned about, I don't want you to listen to my opinion, I want you to listen to God's Word this morning, and you be the judge of what to make of your theories, or the news headlines we read every day. 740 B.C., it's the end of... A peaceful time, an Indian summer, D.A. Carson says, for Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. They've been at peace. No major enemies threatening them. But the year that King Uzziah died, everything was about to change. Let me just summarize the story. We're going to read through it quickly in a moment, but let me give you the pieces so you don't get lost in all the prophetic language. Put yourself as an Israelite or as one living in Judah. Isaiah is a prophet of the Lord to both Israel and Judah. Israel has been playing the whore. Idols, idolatry is rampant in both Judah and Israel. The first five chapters of Isaiah is God rebuking them, saying, I hate your worship. You come and go through all this rigmarole and you're idolatrous at heart. He's saying, I'm upset with this. Repent. Judgment is coming. But then all throughout Isaiah, you get these, just when you feel like you can't take anymore, there's these little zaps of hope of a future kingdom and a future day. So the worship is hollow. Justice is being perverted. And his people are afraid. They're afraid but they're afraid of the wrong thing according to Isaiah. What are they afraid of? Can we throw up the slide here? I'm just going to keep this slide up throughout the sermon because I want you to be able to keep track of the different players in what is going on in Israel's day. All right. If you are going to be briefed on the politics of the day, here's what we have. Assyria is the world's superpower. They are destroying everyone. They're just gobbling up one kingdom after another. Their goal is world domination. Tiglash-Pileser is the king. This is the one whom everyone fears." Israel is divided. They have two kingdoms. The northern kingdom with the ten tribes. Their king is Pekah. They threaten Judah, as we're going to see in a moment, to put the son of Tabil on the throne in Judah. Syria is a big player, and their king is Rezin. Israel is so terrified of the Assyrians, they know that they're next on the list. I mean, we're afraid of ISIS, right? And we're the superpower. ISIS for them is the Assyrians, and they got the power. So Israel gets a plan. We're going to go into cahoots with Syria, Those two kings, King Pekah and King Rezin, are putting together a coalition. And they come to Judah and they say, Judah, we will wipe you off the face of the earth if you don't join our coalition. If you don't hop on board. Their king is King Ahaz. This is the kingdom that's in David's line. The promise runs through Judah and through David. So we think we live in a scary world. What if you lived in Judah or Israel? You're hearing all sorts of conspiracies of what's about to happen. And God in His grace sends Isaiah to Judah to Speak to them. And he even speaks out to Israel throughout this. You can just leave that up so people can continue to keep names straight. The dilemma is, what's Judah gonna do? Judah gets a plan. Ahaz gets a plan. Ahaz's plan is this. Forget Israel and Syria. Why don't I go in cahoots with Assyria, with the superpower? Won't this make everything better? Ahaz decides that's what he is going to do. He's going to go with the Assyrians and be safe and keep his people safe. so the threat is real ahaz can't stand as far as he can tell to israel and syria the son of Tabil is going to take his position that's the threat but in the midst of all this doom and gloom there's a beautiful picture painted in the midst of all this fear isaiah speaks and he tells them not to fear, to trust God, for God is sending a baby. Can you put yourself in Ahaz's shoes? Can you imagine what it's like living? So here's how the sermon's gonna go. The charge today is don't fear what they fear. Let God be your fear. Don't fear what they fear. Let God be your fear. What's the biggest enemy of Israel and Judah in their idolatry? It's not the Assyrians. It's not the Assyrians. And it's the simplest sermon ever. Don't fear man, don't hope in man. Hope in God, fear God. So let's read through these texts and let God's Word have its proper authority in teaching you these things. So go to chapter 7. Let's see how God speaks through Isaiah and His message is not to fear. Isaiah 7, starting verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David, this is Judah, was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, that's Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Can you imagine? It's sure destruction. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, and at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, here's the charge from God. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you. Don't fear because they're coming to kill you, he says. Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. That's what they're saying. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tebal as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. Don't fear that they're mounting an attack. The conspiracy is real. Don't fear It's not going to stand is what God says through the prophet to Judah. And then we see Him tell him not to hope in man. Look at verse 8. For the head of Syria is Damascus. That's the capital city. And the head of Damascus is Rezin, That's the king. Don't fear, because the head of that city is a man. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Israel won't even be a people within 65 years. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. He essentially says, in all that fancy speech, don't fear them. There's two men that are heads of those armies. If you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. If you, if you leave with nothing else, believe that. The only stability you'll ever have is by faith in God's Word. I don't care the circumstances. You will not be firm unless you're firm in faith. Israel's hope is in Syria. Judah's hope is in Assyria. Isn't this a sad picture for God's people to be in? Back in chapter 2 of Isaiah, you don't need to turn there, verse 22 Isaiah says, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Why do you trust in men who the only thing they own is the breath that's just been given to them as a gift by God? And then they're needy for the next one from God. Why do you regard man? Why do you fear What you fear. And then we see him telling Judah to hope in God. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. You can ask anything for a sign. Ahaz, trust God. Trust God. Ask Him for a sign. If you want him to write it in the sky, he's going to write it in the sky. If you want to do something as deep as the earth, he'll do it deep as the earth. And oh, look at this pious Ahaz's answer. Verse 12, But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of Israel, O house of David, is it too little that you weary men that you weary my God also? Ahaz uses this religious speech that sounds so good to just cloak his total lack of trust in God. He doesn't even want to see a sign. He's got his mind made up. Hear, then, O house of David, he says. And then God in His great mercy speaks a promise anyway. Look at verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Your king is too wicked to ask for it when it's been offered. The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call His name Emmanuel. And He should eat curds and honey when He knows how to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. This is one of these prophecies that's telescoping. There's a virgin there that hasn't had a child yet. And he says before that woman gives birth and that child is old enough to discern good and evil, Syria and Israel are going to be gone. And obviously, this prophet telescopes beyond immediate salvation to another virgin that gives birth, which is the true and full salvation of Israel. By 722, Israel is held in captivity by the Assyrians. By 670, the deportation of them and the bringing in of other people, Israel, the northern kingdom, is unrecognizable. It's gone. Prophecy fulfilled. In a sense, he's saying, if you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. But here's what Ahaz did. Keep your finger in Isaiah. I want you to turn to Second Kings. Chapter sixteen starting in verse seven. Second Kings chapter sixteen starting in verse seven. us read right from Scripture Ahaz's response to this hope that's been given to them. Second Kings sixteen seven. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Isn't that the saddest words you've ever seen? God's chosen people rescued from Egypt so quickly prostituting themselves out for another I am your servant. I am your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. So Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and set a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. And the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kerr, and he killed Rezin. Oh, what a sad story. Oh, what a sad picture. Trying to buy salvation politically. We've seen this. We see this all the time. We see it in this election cycle. The saddest thing in the world is watching Christians tremble. It's this sad. We go so many other places to find security. And we've seen, we know we're on the other side of the virgin birth, the death of Christ, the resurrection. We know we cannot be killed. What is wrong? with our faith, Christians. We're no better when we tremble and talk all about conspiracy and fear. Look at verse 17. Here we see, fear God. The Lord will bring upon you because Ahaz has rejected him. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. That's going to be your end, Judah. Your Savior is going to be your immediate destruction. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rock and in the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. And that day, the Lord will shave with the razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet. It will be swept away. The beard also. Chapter 7 has hope but talks about the foolishness of fearing man, of hoping man, hoping in man, not hoping in God, not fearing God, not seeing their real state. And then you get to chapter 8, and it's just like rapid fire through here. Those four points just come nearly one sentence after the other. Let's just see it in rapid fire. Start in verse 5. Verses... Uh, 1-4, through four, God tells Isaiah that He's going to have a son. And His son's name means uh, easy, quick pickings, easy prey. You're going to have a son. And, the, and he's, in a sense, His name is going to show how easy you are to destroy as a people. And then you get to verse 5. The Lord spoke to me again Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah. Here's what he's saying. The Lord spoke again. Here's what you've done. There's this peaceful stream of salvation offered to you by your Creator, by your God, by your Father. And you've rejected this peaceful Stream. For what? Look at what verse 7 says. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. Mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory, and it will rise over its channels and go over all its banks and will sweep on into Judah. It'll overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fulfill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. This is judgment and it's hope. It only reaches to the neck Judah isn't quite cut off or else the promise to Abraham would fail and the promise to David would fail. But oh, the Assyrians are going to move in. And oh, how destruction is coming. You've rejected the peaceful streams from the Lord, salvation from the Lord, and you've chosen for yourself Assyria. That's what he's saying there. And then, look at this, verse 9, screaming hope in God. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear. All, All you far countries, strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. He's saying, humble yourself. Be broken. Lay down. Look for God for mercy. If you want to strap on the sandal, if you want to get ready for battle, you're going to be shattered. They need to be humbled before the Lord. And then, verse 10, screaming, do not hope in man. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with His strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Well, how ought we not to walk, Isaiah? God, speak to us. Listen. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Think. Think. Do you talk like every other American? Are you worried about what every other American is worried about? Are your conspiracies the conspiracies of the people? Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. What's shocking about this is their conspiracies are real. They're real threats. You know, we kind of laugh at some of these conspiracy theories because they're not true. But here, the God in heaven is mocking true conspiracies that make His people tremble. Do you see the point? You might have been sitting there saying, Well, I believe vaccinations are bad. Or I believe this. Well, they may be bad. I don't know. I'm not an expert here, but I know this. If you're a Christian and this is where you tremble, or the EMP that's about to explode, or ISIS that's about to come in, what do we talk about? What do we say? God tells us don't be like the rest of the people. Here's what we should do, verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Israel and Judah deserve to be destroyed for their idolatry, and they're not afraid of God. They're not trembling. They're not begging for mercy and forgiveness. They just continue to rail against God's words and His promises. And then verse 14, if you fear God, He will become a sanctuary. For those few in the remnant that put their hope in God, He'll become a sanctuary. But for the others, a stone of offense and rock of stumbling to both the house of Israel and a trap and a snare to your inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's northern and southern kingdom, and many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken away. All throughout Isaiah, there's a little remnant that finds God as their sanctuary. But the rest of the people of Israel and Judah, they tremble and they look for salvation somewhere else. And then... Look at verse 16. Here's what we're to do. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. These words I told you are words of salvation and peace and protection from your God. Bind them up. Seal the teaching among my disciples. Talk about it. Think about it. I'll wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in Him. You know, maybe God isn't giving you peace fast enough. Will you wait for Him? Will you wait even to the last hour, to the moment of death? Will you wait for your Lord? Or is there a moment to cut and run? To turn to pragmatism? For security and hope. And then look at verse 19. This is emphasizing the point. Don't put your hope in man. And when they say to you, inquire of mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter. (laughs) You know, this is what you're supposed to do. Go to the experts of the world. Listen to how he mocks him. Should not a people inquire of their God? This is personally convicting. Is my first response to fear prayer? If I hear about something, do, do I click on the news first? If I think I might have some sort of sickness, do I scan all everything I can read about it? Should they not inquire of their God? Should they not... Or should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Is this not a mocking? To the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to His Word, it's because they have no dawn. They don't have the light. They're not born again. They don't have salvation. If they reject God's Word, they're in darkness. When they go to the dead for hope, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward, shaking their fist at him. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness." So let's think back to all these conspiracy theories, to the news headlines that I talked about at the beginning of the sermon. And let me ask a few questions. The first question is this, whom do you fear? Whom do you fear? Is not your life more safe being humbled by God repenting and trusting in Christ? Isn't that the most wise place to be? Where do you find your hope? Do you fear ISIS, liberals, chemicals, food, water, vaccinations, government, EMPs, racial riots, etc., 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 etc.? There's a million other fears. You might say, well, Sam, Where's the place for healthy fear? Ought we not fear these things? I mean, come on. We're not just supposed to shut our eyes and follow God and walk like this. Aren't some of these fears you talked about healthy fears? And I, to be honest with you, I just want to say, yeah, it sure seems like it, but I read Isaiah 7 and 8 and could not... Israel and Judah have responded in that exact same way? Is this not a healthy fear? Isn't this a real threat? What do you meditate on? What do you talk about? What do you read about? What do you watch? What do you do? What do you try and convince others of? Answer these questions and there will be clues as to where your fears and your hopes lie. Here's my prayer for myself and for you. This is a sermon that needs to be preached to me a thousand times over. I pray there is much fear of God among you. A humble repentance and awe of God and reliance upon Him I pray there is much prayer to God in seeking His face in the Word. I pray that your talk causes others to see that your hope is in God and your fear is in the Lord. I pray that when people are around you, they find that you are at peace. Even in the midst of difficult circumstance, they find that you are selling the only true security, which is God. Quit selling lesser securities. Let people see rock solid security in God. Much more of these things, much less of what all the people are talking about. Isaiah's answer to these real threats is that a child will be born of a virgin called Emmanuel. And I just challenge you, tell me, tell me what fear Christ can't destroy. Ought not to destroy. From physical sickness to enemies, do not fear those that kill the body. We're not a people controlled by fear. We ought not be. So hear the voice of the prophet of God one more time. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, let Him be your dread, and He will be a sanctuary to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray, I pray that these words won't quickly depart from us. We're all guilty of doing what Ahaz was doing and what Pekka was doing. We're all guilty of this. Seeking security elsewhere. Selling other things to people that aren't nearly as good as selling them the Lord. Father, I pray that You'll give us wisdom. I don't pretend to know how this all is supposed to work out individually in all the lives here. But Lord, I pray that as they think on these words and they consider their life, they consider what aspects of their life are controlled by fear, that they would see this peaceful stream that's offered to them in Christ in the midst of a storm. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.